0: All right. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, Let's open with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we have to uh, study this book. And we ask that you would uh, be with us as we seek to learn from the wisdom of um, other Christians in the past, that you would help us as we um, consider and apply various principles that we'll see to our own Christian walk, that you would help us to grow in our faith and that we would become... Uh, more like Christ, and especially in the fight against sin and the fight against the devil, that you would help us um, to grow and to be better and to um, to not give in to the temptations and the, uh, the attacks of the evil one. We pray all of this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, I just want to say at the outset, I apologize for my voice. Uh, Joel and I are both getting over being sick, which happened during the funeral. There's, you know... My one cousin said, "I think we hugged half the county um, during the times of visitation, and so germs got passed around, and we're on the upswing, but uh, unfortunately, the thing affected most for me was my voice, and so uh, we'll do our best to get through uh, this evening. Uh, as we come to the screw tape letters, uh, I just want to do a little bit of introduction to the book as a whole. Uh, just curious, how many people have read uh, the screw tape letters before? Okay, so maybe almost half of us here this evening. Uh, and obviously on Zoom, I have no idea how many of you read it, but uh it's a very unique and interesting book. Uh that's part of what makes it so popular in a classic. And uh as Lewis writes this book, he's writing it in a different style. Um for those of you who aren't as familiar with it, it's uh it's a series of letters that Lewis writes from the perspective of a, a head demon uh to a younger demon. Uh in particular, this younger demon is tasked with um Basically, trying to lead a soul to hell, and uh, and so there's we're only getting one side's perspective, but it's the advice of this older demon and how to, um, what you should do to tempt this person and lead them astray and all those things, and and so it's a it's a very unique book in that regard. Uh, it is important for us to remember, though, that this is a work of fiction, uh, and there are a number of elements in this book that go along with this. Um, we don't have anything in the scriptures that. Uh, that indicate that you have, uh, you know, uh, head demons and under demons and uncle demons and nephew demons. And, um, you know, in various places, it talks about training in the academy. You know, they don't have that kind of structure. But part of what he's doing is as he's writing in fiction and part of the style of it is uh, you have to add other elements to be able to communicate more effectively. And so that's just something to keep in mind. This is a, a work of fiction. Uh, These aren't real letters that Lewis discovered as he uh, kind of plays out in the the preface, similar to like when he writes the Chronicles of Narnia. He writes it as if it's something that actually happened, but that's just part of the the style of the fiction. Uh, A couple of other things, though, I just want to introduce to us, though, just about this book and some things from even Lewis himself. One is this. Uh, Lewis says at one point, though I had never written anything more easily, I never wrote with less enjoyment, talking about this book. Uh, And how it was easy to write, part of that is, you know, we're sinners. It's easy to get into a diabolical frame of mind and to start to think in this way. Um, But as a Christian, he didn't enjoy it. And that's good. Uh, And even as we read this book, there may be times where, there may be times when we just need to go and cleanse our palate afterwards and read Philippians or something like that. Yeah, that's okay. Um, that's part of the reason why I, I don't want to just, you know, read huge chunks at a time. is because, you know, this is heavy um, to read from this perspective. And, uh, and Lewis felt that as he, he wrote it himself. Um, while it was easy to write, it was not something that was enjoyable. Uh, another thing that Lewis talks about is he talked about he had a desire that this book would be balanced with, with uh, another kind of book, which would be angelic letters, kind of providing the the opposite perspective, uh, kind of like, you know, a, a higher angel to a, an under angel who's tasked with ministering to the soul of the person to try to, you know, you're only reading the temptations perspective that would have provided a, a better perspective. But he talks about that, you know, that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, even if a man, this is Lewis writing, even if a man, and he would have had to be a far better man than I, could scale the spiritual heights required, what answerable style could he use? For the style would really be part of the content. Mere advice would be no good. Every sentence would have to smell of heaven. And that's why he never wrote it and why no one else has ever wrote it. It's really an impossible task to kind of, to capture that perspective of, that would communicate heaven so well. We can communicate a little bit of what hell is like because we're sinners and, and fallen creatures. But it can be very difficult to communicate heaven in such a, a powerful way. And so Lewis did have a desire for these letters to be balanced with um, an angelic perspective, but in the end that was uh, uh, too tall a task for him. And one final thing I just want to mention as we uh, start to get into this book is this. Lewis talks about this in the preface. He says, readers are advised to remember that the devil is a liar. Not everything that Screwtape says should be assumed to be true, even from his own angle. And so as we read this book and discuss this book, it's important for us to remember that, that the devil is a liar. And Lewis tries to capture kind of that, some of that as well. So we we need to read this discerningly. There are things that Screwtape says that are just patently and totally false. And uh, and we want to recognize that. Uh, now, there's a lot of really rich uh, themes here and wisdom that we can glean from this and just even how we uh, apply it to our own lives. But we need to read with uh, discernment, both because Tape is a liar and also because Lewis wasn't right on everything. Uh, and so there's going to be times when we come across something that we might not quite agree with, and that's okay. We can, uh, we can appreciate the good things he has to say while also being able to critique the areas where he's wrong. So that's all I just wanted to say by way of introduction to the book. And uh, we did provide copies before. I don't know if there's anyone who uh, needs a copy. If you do need a copy later on, I can order some extras. We'll have them here on Sunday. But you can just let me know, uh, let me know afterwards. Uh, but let's go ahead and start to talk about letter one. And if you didn't read the book, that's okay. I've got a couple things that uh, I want to bring out from the chapter. And then I'll just open it up to questions. If anyone has any questions or comments or things they want to build upon, then we'll talk about the second letter and just follow the same thing. I'll bring out some points from the chapter, and then we'll, uh, we'll open it up to discussion. In this first letter, we have uh, introduced the characters of uh, Wormwood and Tape, uh, as well as this individual, the patient that they are, uh, the human being that they are working on. And at this point in the first letter, this person's not a Christian yet. And so uh, Screwtape is just providing some uh, basic foundational advice of how you should try to lead this person to prevent them from becoming a Christian. And there's two big, uh, two big points that I, I think are important from this chapter. The first one is this. Uh, Screwtape makes a contrast between jargon, or you might want to say propaganda on one side, versus argumentation and reason. And in the end of the letter, he has this line, which I think is uh, very, uh, it it captures really what this letter is about. He says, do remember, you are there to fuddle him. You are there to confuse him. You are there, you're, you're not, the goal of Satan and temptation is not to make us more enlightened. It's not to lead us into truth. It's to try to confuse, it's to try to darken, it's to try to obscure things. We see this even with uh, Satan and uh, Eve in the, the Garden of Eden, what does he do? He, he asks questions and he starts to try to um, you know, move her away from Jesus said, to throw doubt on what, what God said, God's command. Did God really say and try to confuse and obscure and, and turn her away from the plain and evident things that she knew from God and from Adam? And so this is really the, the goal here that Screwtape's trying to impress. You want to fuddle him. You want to confuse him. Don't let him start to move towards the light in any sense. And there's a couple particular ways that he talks about doing this. One is to avoid real argumentation and real reason. The reason for this is because argumentation and reason are God's tools. God created us as reasonable creatures. Now, our reason has been broken and affected by the fall, um, you know, we see in Romans one, people can see things and recognize things, but because they're sinners, they turn away from it, they reject it, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness, all those kinds of things. But argument, good argumentation, and good reason are things that God has given us and uh, created us with those things, and God still uses them in working in human beings. And part of this devilish advice from Screwtape here is to not use reason, but rather to focus on jargon and propaganda. Instead of uh, bringing the person along to, or let me put it this way, Satan doesn't want us to deal with those ultimate questions of things like mortality, the universals, You know, where did everything come from? Um, does God exist? And to really start to, deal with those questions in an honest manner. Because if we start to deal with those questions in an honest manner, you know, one of the things he says is, um, let's see, by the very act of arguing, you awake the patient's reason, and once it's awake, who can foresee the result? You know, from their perspective, you don't know what God's going to do when you get this person starting to think. God could easily use them starting to think and then start to give them the right thoughts. And all of a sudden, they're converted, and you just screwed everything up, you know, from the devil's perspective. And so they want us to avoid argumentation and and real reason, but to focus on jargon, to just kind of accept things, but not to actually delve into them. Um, He uses this language, make him think it is strong, or I'm actually backing up a little bit. Jargon, not argument, is your best ally in keeping him from the church. Don't waste time trying to make him think that materialism is true. Make him think it is strong or stark or courageous, that it is the philosophy of the future. That's the sort of thing he cares about. Make him feel good about what he's doing, how he's living. Don't let him start to think and reason about whether or not this is right or makes sense or is logical or anything like that. I mean, we see that playing out in our world today. Our world is not about reason. Our world is about what makes you feel good. It's about what makes you comfortable. I mean, you can apply this to all kinds of issues. We look at issues and we're like, how can people not get it? It's so plain. It's so evident. It's, you know, a man is a man. A woman is a woman. Things like that. How can people be so confused about this stuff? Well, it's because Satan's been using these tactics. He's been using these tactics to lead people away from reason and logic and right and wrong and all that stuff. And taking it into the realm of propaganda, to slogans, to sayings, to how one feels, and things like that. I mean, everyone today, you know, what's the, what are our, our jargon words today? Tolerance. Everyone wants to be tolerant of everyone else. doesn't matter if it is incompatible with life or anything like that. We have these things that we want to be, these slogans. That's what Satan has been doing so you have this, this juxtaposition between this jargon and propaganda versus argument and reason. And, uh, and one of the reasons why you want to avoid argumentation and reason is because it then leads to the consideration of universal issues, to so the most foundational issues. And this brings us to the second point he's making in this letter, is he makes another contrast. You have on one hand, you have the, the familiar and the ordinary, that which you can see with your eyes, that which you experience in everyday life. Versus, on the other hand, the unfamiliar or the spiritual. (coughs) The devil wants us to be focused on what it is that we see with our eyes. On what we call real life. And not focused on what we can't see. Which is actual real life in terms of like the spiritual realm. He doesn't want us thinking about whether God exists and if he does exist, what he's like, and if he's revealed himself to us in the Bible and things like that. He doesn't want us thinking about those questions. He wants us thinking about, what am I going to eat for lunch today? You know, what is it that I have to do today? Things like that. He has this example here of uh, this person who was reading in the British Museum, and all of a sudden his train of thought is leading down these kinds of questions, these universal questions. Mm-hmm. And the way that Tape led him aside was, uh, to appeal to his appetites. You know, you're hungry, go get some lunch. And then of course he talks about, you know, well, you know, the angel or God was there, you know, leading him in the other direction. And you don't know exactly what he said, but you know, well, his counter argument in the end of the, the, the screw tape was, well, this is too important of an issue to deal with right now. We need to go get some lunch. And and the guy he did that. He went out, he saw a bus, he saw the streets, he saw the, you know, the hustle and bustle around him. And all those important questions that he had started to ponder, they were gone. And he just goes on living his life and just focus on the here and now in front of us. Uh, Screwtape talks about the fact that you need to keep pressing on home the ordinariness of things. Um, they find it all but impossible to believe in the unfamiliar while the familiar is before their eyes. You know, we're embodied creatures. We have limitations. Uh, and we are governed a lot by what we see. And Satan uses that. He uses that to try to limit our, our thinking and our beliefs to just this right here. And What is it that the Scriptures keep telling us? We need to have the eyes of faith. Um, we believe in a God whom we have not seen. That's, that's a big deal. And in the world, the world focuses on what can we see. If I can, if I can see it, if I can touch it, You know, if I can... You know, the five senses can experience it. That's what's real, right? That's not what we believe. We believe in things that are beyond our five senses. God is beyond our five senses. We haven't seen him. We haven't touched him. We haven't smelt him or felt him or any of that. But he is real. He is more real than everything else, than than everything, because in him we live and move and have our being, as Paul says uh, in Acts. And so that's part of what uh, Screwtape is trying to... Uh, lead his, lean warm in, you know, use the limitations of the human being to your advantage. Get him to focus on what's right in front of them. Don't let him think about those important questions. And that's part of how you prevent him from becoming a Christian. All right, so that's the end of the first letter. Are there any questions, comments, anything anyone wants to say on that?
1: You were mentioning that, um, senses mm-hmm. and, uh, the senses and how Satan wants to focus on the senses those things we rely on. But the senses also can be um, deceiving. They can, yeah. Stroll you know, always talks about the bent door. Yep,
0: yeah. yep. So, you look at something through the water and it looks distorted. It looks like it's crooked, but it's actually still straight. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah. So even in the world, it looks like everything we need to know is, is in our senses. Yeah. It can be deceiving too. Yep. Yeah. Our senses can
1: be
0: deceiving. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, when we think what's true is based on what we feel, as opposed to what is, um, we connect what is true with what we feel or imagine. Or imagine yep. And, uh, We need to realize truth exists on its own, stands on its own two feet. It doesn't depend on whether or not we like it, whether or not we uh, have emotional attachment to it, or anything like that. God is true whether we like him or not. He's still God. Um, And So it's not dependent on our emotions. It's not dependent on our imagination. Yeah, exactly right. All right let 's talk about the uh, the second letter for a little bit. second letter begins with uh, screw tape being displeased because the patient has now become a Christian, and so he 's not happy about that uh, that 's not good from their perspective however he uh, he definitely approaches it from the perspective that not all is lost, and so screw tape is approaching this now of course, as, as Christians and Calvinists, we know that um All those that the father has given to the son, none of them can be plucked from his hand. And so we know that, you know, a true Christian can never be um, pulled away truly from the faith. But of course, this is written from the perspective of the devil, and he's going to try no matter what. And so that's where, you know, a lot of this is coming into play. And he even talks about, he says, there's no need to despair Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us. And there's a number of things that he then points to as things that you can start to exploit to try to ruin this person's relationship with Christianity. The first of them is this. All of the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. What this means is, um, I I think this is a a really important quote, but uh, what this means is, as we live our lives, we have habits. You know, you can look at it just as benignly as, you know, we have a morning routine. You know, you get up, maybe you go to the bathroom, maybe you eat breakfast, maybe you get dressed, or some order of those three things, but, you know, those are our habits. We have a routine that we do normally every day. Um, and that's true spiritually as well. You know, you don't just all of a sudden start becoming great at reading your Bible uh, or praying regularly. Those are things that you have to grow in. Our sanctification just doesn't all happen in a moment. It's something that we grow in. God works in us over time. And, uh, and so what Screwtape is talking here is that, you know, for an unbeliever, they, spiritually speaking, are habituated in sin. They're used to committing sins. There are sins that they probably uh, are used to committing regularly. Whether it's someone who steals a lot or is angry all the time or all those things, they've got habits of living in sinful ways. And when someone converts, there's always a change that happens because they've been given a new heart. And so you'll see a change that happens when someone converts. But there's still going to be issues that they struggle with. Uh, There's still going to be sins that they are used to Ways that they are used to thinking, ways that they're used to speaking, ways that they're used to acting, that is still like what they were before they became a Christian. And Screwtape recognizes this. He says, all their habits are still in our favor. They haven't had, you know, that time for sanctification to work to change them. And so they still have weaknesses. They still have sins. They, you know, they have still they still have areas that we can tempt them in to try to draw them back and pull them away. Of course, a true Christian, while we may stumble, while we may fall, while we may still struggle with sin, we know that God is going to complete the good work that he has begun. But again, we're, you know, this is from the perspective of the devil, of what he's going to try to do and what he's going to try to exploit in us. Um, and then this letter goes on to talk about the church. Now, the first statement he makes, I want to point this out. Uh, he says this, one of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. There he's talking about the invisible church, which, of course, is that you know, the, the body of all the saints of God from you know, the beginning of time up to the present day. And we can't see this. You know, we don't know who all has been converted. But, and of course, we don't know actually if the the demons can see it in a particular way. But that's kind of what uh, Lewis is trying to do here, of draw, draw our eyes out of the here and now to considering the people of God from the perspective of all eternity. And it's a powerful image. God has been saving people and building his church all the way from the beginning of Genesis up to the present moment. And there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands, if not millions upon millions, that he has brought to himself over that time. That's a powerful testimony to God's working and God's triumph over the gates of hell, as uh, Pastor Aquila preached on Sunday. And that's something that scares Satan. Because there's a huge testimony to how uh, there's a huge living testimony in heaven now of his failures and God saving sinners, and that should be an encouragement to us to think in that way. Because that's not what we think about. What we focus on is what we can see, which is the earthly church with all of her all of her flaws, all of her shortcomings, and that's now what Screw Tape turns to warm wood and says, "Use those, use those weaknesses." to turn your patient against the church. He says, all your patient sees is the half-finished sham gothic erection of the new building estate. When he goes inside, inside he sees the local rocher with rather an oily expression on his face, bustling up to offer him one shiny little book containing a litur- liturgy, which neither of them understands, and one shabby little book containing corrupt texts of a number of religious lyrics, mostly bad and in very small print talks about when he goes around, he sees all these neighbors that he used to avoid before he became a Christian. Of course, now he sees them in church. Um, tape says, make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces in the next pew. It matters very little what kind of people are in that next pew. You may know one of them to be a great warrior on the enemy's side. Of course, the enemy is, is God's side because it's from the devil's perspective. But no matter, your patient, thanks to our father below, is a fool. Provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune, or have boots that squeak, or double chins, or odd clothes, the patient will quite easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. Ridiculous. Part of what uh, Lewis is writing here is actually kind of autobiographical. Because when he first went to the church, he, he didn't like it. <laughs> when he was first like singing these hymns, he's like, These are terrible. You know, they're terrible tunes and all these things. And what happened was he started to realize that these songs he didn't like were still being sung with a devotion, a devotion and a heart oriented towards God. And that humbled him. He realized that that guy in the pew next to him, that, you know, was wearing those weird shoes and boots and whatever, he's like, but he was singing this song, this terrible song with devotion towards God, Lewis realized, "I'm not worthy to shine his shoes." Like that, that was a humbling experience he had to go through. But of course, he recognizes Satan can use this. And Satan does use this. He, he loves to divide the church. And what is, does he use, what, what is it that he uses to divide the church? He uses us. He's <laughs> like, you know well, start to think judgmentally about that person next to you they look weird they dress weird they talk weird they you know they sing weird like all those things you know make their their mind flit to and fro between the body of christ which is such a a wonderful and high concept and then you know the ordinary person and all their shortcomings and it's like oh how is this possible of course then he goes on to talk about don't allow your patient to think about the fact well if god could allow me to be part of the body of christ of course he can let someone else that I don't like to be in because look at all the shortcomings I have. He's like, don't let him go there. Cause then he'll start to have real humility and, and things like that. But he's trying to get, uh, he's trying to get the, uh, the man to focus on the ordinariness of the church to, to be disappointed. I mean, the church in comparison to the rest of the world, the church is such a Lonely thing. I mean, Paul talks about preaching as foolishness. I mean, where else in the world do you have people that do what we do? We come together on Sunday. We sing hymns out of a hymnal. We, we have a, a book read, a book preached and applied to our lives. We spend some time fellowshiping and we go home. Like, that's weird compared to what the rest of the world does. But God is, I mean, we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ, God meets with us in the church, or two or more are gathered together in my name. God is actually present there. We may not see him, but he's still really, truly there. I mean it's an incredibly powerful and wonderful thing, but you know to, to go back to Lane's point earlier, if you uh Screwtape brings this up, you know, work on the disappointment, the anticlimax the the fall of the emotions when the church doesn't live up to what you want it to be. You know, you have these, we can have these grandiose expectations, you know, the church is going to be perfect. We're not. We're sinners. We're gonna offend each other, we're gonna hurt each other, we're gonna, we're gonna sing out of tune, there's gonna be there's gonna be high points, there's gonna be low points. And we can't allow, we should not allow Satan to take advantage of those low points to turn us away. That's one of the things he wants him to do. Work on those emotions. Work on those emotions. Let him feel those low points and use that to try to drive him away. Um, Another thing I just want to point out briefly, he talks about uh, God's love of, he says this, he says um, that God has this love of degrading the whole spiritual world by unnatural liaisons with the two-legged animals. Uh <laughs> what he's getting at is, and this and this actually connects with the theory that, you know, why was it that Satan fell from his high position? Well, he fell because of pride. And some people think that part of what contributed to that, we don't know for certain, but part of what may have contributed to that was God's revealing of his plan to, have, to make human beings, to make them in his image and to have relationship with them. And part of what is being captured here is this idea of, you know, you have the spiritual world that is so much higher than us lowly humans. I mean, angels are, are greater beings than us. And yet God never became an angel. He became a man. He became like one of us because he loved us, because he desired to save us you know from the from the the devil's perspective that makes no sense why would someone who is so much higher and so much more exalted be willing to liaison with those two-legged animals yeah you know, that's part of the mystery and power of of god and his love for us lowly human beings i can't explain it but i'm really thankful for it <laughs> but satan doesn't like that um let's see one last thing i wanted to bring out this is at the end of the letter. Um, he talks about how this man, he hasn't been a Christian long enough to have any real humility. Um, and Screwtape says this what he says, even on his knees, about his own sinfulness is all parrot talk. At the bottom, he still believes he has run up a very favorable credit balance in the enemy's ledger by allowing himself to be converted and thinks that he is showing great humility and condescension in going to church with these smug, commonplace neighbors at all. Keep them in that state of mind as long as you can. What Lewis is getting at here, and he actually talks about this in other of his works, is that sometimes we can slip into this pattern of thinking about our relationship with God as kind of a bargaining system. You know, but well, I allowed you to convert me. I'm going to do you a favor by going to church and associating with all these, you know, weird people and things like that. And you know, you start to think that, you know, God kind of owes me a little bit for all these things I'm doing to him. This is like, no, 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 no. And in other places, he talks about, you know, we haven't really understood our relationship with God until we understand how bankrupt we are. We deserve nothing good. It is all by God's grace that he gives us anything good, that he saves us, all these things. But sometimes we can start to slip that, oh, we're not that bad off. We're doing God a favor. And Satan is going to try to take advantage of us. He's going to encourage us to think in that way. But that's not right. We are bankrupt in the eyes of God. We are bankrupt. We have no hope without him. And uh, we're completely dependent on him. Christianity should drive us to the greatest humility because we realize how lowly we are, how much, how desperate we are, how much we need God. That's why Christians, we should be the most humble of all. People look at the church and they say, well, the church is full of hypocrites. Well, some churches are. But a good church is going to be full of sinners people who recognize we are sinful, we are desperate. We're not here because we're good people. We're here because we need a great God and Savior. And we love Him, and we're going to worship Him as imperfectly and as messed up as we are. So that's all I have uh, for the first two letters. Are there any other? Uh... Yes, Lane.
1: Expand believe on your say that the
0: angels are greater than So um, say again. That's now. Yes. So um it's in Hebrews Oh, I'm blanking on the passage. I think it's Hebrews 1. We are, yes. We will, yes.
1: At that point we will be greater than
0: Uh yeah. In a, in a sense, um, maybe it wasn't this passage. Uh, let me see if I can find it in the index. So there's the passage that talks about um, being made a little lower than the angels. Uh, and I can, I yeah, <laughs> I can't remember the reference. I thought I knew it, and apparently I was wrong. Say again? Ooh, I had the right book. Two nine. But we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might test, taste death for everyone. So there, when it talks about him being made lower than the angels, that's talking about him becoming man. And so that seems to imply that in terms of like a, if you want to call it like a hierarchy of being, angels are greater than us. But you are right. Because of the incarnation, you know, God became man. We become elevated, and we will participate with Christ in His judging of the nations, which oh, oh the whole world, which will include angels as well. Yeah,
1: they greater in the sense that they are more powerful than we at this point. This side of the
0: world. Yeah, yeah, they're more powerful than us. I mean, yeah. On the
1: other side of the once we.
0: We will be like the angels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, then Jesus talks about we will be like the angels. You know, either marriage or being given in marriage. So there's a there's an elevation like of us. Will be like yes.
1: Like no. Yeah. So how
0: could be like, like both of them? Um. Okay. So. Good question. I don't know if I have a perfect answer, but let me give something of an answer, and we'll see if we get somewhere. Um, so right now, in our current state, we are lower than the angels. We will be glorified, though, at the last day. First Corinthians fifteen, when it talks about the resurrection, you know, we're going to be resurrected, and there's there's an organic connection. He uses the language of like you know uh, a seed becoming a tree. But there's going to be difference as well. It's, it's, it's the perishable putting on the imperishable. What exactly that means? I don't know. like I've, I've had people ask the question, you know, well, am I going to recognize my loved one in heaven?" It's like, "Well, I believe so. There is an organic connection between us now and what we will be then, but we're going to be different too. We're not going to be exactly the same. There, there's something greater that we're going to become at that point. um when Jesus is being asked that question about, you know, um, this lady was married to all these different guys, you know, who is she going to be married to in the resurrection? He's like, no, you don't get it. At that point, you're going to be like the angels in the sense of you're not going to be married or going to be given in marriage. So that's a pretty big difference between how we are now, because that aspect of married and being given in marriage is pretty normal and Important part of human life currently. But it's going to be different then. We're going to be like the angels in that sense that we're not going to be given in that way. Um, and so there's a, a glorification that happens. We're going to be like Christ, um, but we're not going to be God. You know, we're, we're not like the Eastern Orthodox who believe in you know, theosis that you know we become gods in the end in a in a certain sense. It's a little more complicated than that, but you know, we don't become divine. But we definitely become higher than what we are. God is going
1: to adopt us as sons.
0: Yes, yes, we are His children, which is different than the angels, because the angels are not His children. They will never be His yeah. adopted children. Uh, as far as I know from the scriptures, I don't think it says anything like that. So there, there is a a unique and special relationship that God has with us. So
1: it seems to me. Good angels yeah. have sin sinned right against yes, God. Correct. So they are greater than us in that sense. Yeah. But when we become sons of God, I would argue or assume postulate the word.
0: I think you're probably right. I haven't thought about it in those terms um, for for Zoom. Um, you know, right now we're lower than the angels, but we'll be greater than the angels at glory when we judge them. Um, I think that's probably correct. What Lewis was getting at here is the idea of, you know, right now we're still embodied creatures with, you know, we have a spiritual side, we have souls, but we're, we're earthly; we're bound to this world. While angels and demons are not, in a, in a certain sense, they still have they still have limitations. They're not infinite. They still have. I mean, and there's a lot here we don't know. Like, is it? Um, I forget which book it is, but you know, an angel says, "You know, uh, I was sent to come to you, and I got delayed by something." And you're like, well, "What does that mean?" I, it doesn't tell you. Good, Daniel. Yeah, Daniel. Yep. And you're like, well, "How in the world can an angel get delayed?" Like. I like, I don't know, but that's what he said. I understand that we're talking about this book as it's written. Yes.
1: But in a greater sense. Yeah. is really inscrutate too with the devil. Yep. They are all in effect. They are fighting uh, the Holy Spirit. Yes. Yep. And, and To me, as a a sequence for studying this book, we should have studied the five points of Hmm. (laughs) Calvinism.
0: Well, those are going to come up along the way.
1: I mean, it it, it, just, you know, I have not read this book. Mm -hmm. I've read the first two chapters. uh, Yeah. So maybe I'll get anything answered here. But, but I just it seems to me that that. you study that little book that you used to get at Grace, Five Points of Galilee. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it, it answers so many. But but what I didn't recognize, person, but it seems to me that on a personal level, I think that I'm wormwood's patient. I see all these ways that he distracts me from my walk with God, it, it's it really, it's home.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll just give a, a personal example myself. I reread these chapters on my flight home from Pennsylvania a couple of days ago. And one of the things that often happens to me when I'm flying, I look out the window and you, you just see, you just see this whole expanse of the earth. You see the clouds, you see all the lights and you see like, you know, You you just see the vastness of God's creation. And then I'm often led to, like, man, we're like, we're so small. We're so insignificant. Like, you know, we think about all these great things we've done, and it's like, God could just, like, get rid of it like this. Like, we're nothing compared to what he's done. And then it's like, you know, man, God loves us. Like, we're so small and insignificant in comparison to what he is, but we think so highly of ourselves when we shouldn't, and yet God still loves us. And he saved us, and Jesus came. And you know, I, I'm having like all these thoughts on the plane. And then as we're coming into landing, I see the, the stripe of the edge of the runway. I feel the, the tires hitting the concrete. And I, my mind, I, I, re- I, I recognized it on this trip. My mind flipped. All those thoughts were out of my head. And all the thoughts that popped in were the ground, walking my to-do list, what I have to do next, this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, that's exactly what he's talking about in the first letter. Like, I had just been having this great moment of contemplating God and what he had done and just look, everything in creation. The next moment, it's gone, and what's right here, that's all I can think about. Right back to your sinful self. Right back to my sinful self. And it's not that, like, all of it was bad, but it's like, it could just happen like that. Yeah, it's just so easy. It is. get
1: out of the street.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, I'm sure all of us can, if we start to think about it in those terms, like, you know, how often is it we just, we just get busy. You know, we've got so many things to do. We've got people coming over. We've got to do this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, you know, three days ago, by, when have I read my Bible? When have I thought about God? When have I prayed? Like, you know, it's so easy for us to just get distracted by all these other things. Well, what's the most important thing? You know, we look at Mary and Martha, like, we're all Martha all the time because that's it's the, it's the demand of the immediate. And Mary chose the better portion. Yes. Yeah, so. I was thinking about that too. On Monday night,
1: with mm-hmm. Christians, yeah. immediately pray. Even, even Christians who don't like football or whatever, yep. we all pray for that young man. And people
0: were willing to speak up about Christ. Yeah. i never heard
1: Two
0: weeks, two weeks three weeks ago and whenever the super bowl is no one's gonna be thinking about that unless you know he's gonna be there or whatever but you know uh for zoom Zoo was uh sue was bringing up that monday night football game where uh the player had a heart attack and was down on the field and it just shocked everybody and you know they're talking about prayer and people were praying you know christians are praying instinctually all at that same time for this young man um but that was an opportunity for you know In a moment of distraction, of football and sports and all these things, all of a sudden we're confronted with mortality, those ultimate questions, life and death, and that changes. I mean, this is why Ecclesiastes says in uh, chapter 7, better to be in the house of mourning than the house of feasting. And uh, it says as well, the next part's really important. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2, I believe. It is better to the go, go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Um, we all are going to face death, and we all have to deal with that question, and death reminds us of that question. Uh, I was reminded of this just with the, the funeral uh, for my uncle They um, in an open casket of like the power of that, of, of seeing, you know, not to be morbid here, I apologize, but In seeing a dead body, it reminds us that is going to happen to all of us. And we have to ask those questions. What happens after death? God, eternity, all of that. A lot of people, they just try to ignore it. Our world just tries to ignore it. We hide death. We push it to the side. We do everything to fight against it. We do everything to avoid those questions. Because when you start to ask those questions, you're confronted with God. And when God starts to confront you, then you're dealing with the issue of, am I going to obey and submit, or am I going to go my own way? And those are terrifying realities that people don't want to face at all. Sorry, I've been, I've been rambling a little bit here. Um, but yeah, any other... Uh, Comments or questions? Yeah. That's a good question. So, I, Uh, so the the question for Zoom, I, I don't think I repeated it. Can Satan put thoughts in our heads? And, the way I would answer that is, and obviously you've got things like demon possession in the Gospels in particular, so there definitely can be an interaction between the between spirits and us. Um, I think he can make suggestions to us. Um, I don't know how much he can put thoughts directly into our head. Um, but to be fair, we're pretty good at doing that ourselves, coming up with him.
1: You know, when we start beating ourselves up, you know, saying, oh, I'm stupid. And is
0: that us doing that, or is Satan influencing us some way? Uh, it can very easily be both uh, in terms of, uh, Randy's asking, you know, when we're having thoughts, we're beating ourselves up in our head, you know, things like that. Is that ourselves? Is that Satan? Uh, I think it can be both in the sense of, you know, we're fallen creatures. We are, we have a natural proclivity to sin. We have sinful natures. And so sin is arising in us all the time. Um, that's different than like Jesus. Jesus not having a sinful nature never had temptations ar- arise internally. They always arrived externally. Satan had to come to him. Uh, there wasn't anything inside Christ that was saying, oh, go do this, go sin in this way. But that happens to us all the time. We have all kinds of sinful desires. Um, now I think Satan can suggest things to us Um, But I don't know that it's as concrete as, like, uh, particular words or things like that in our heads. But I'm not entirely certain either. Yeah. You might be able
1: um, to present temptation. Yes. So that in our sin nature. Yeah. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver
0: us. Yeah. He can definitely present temptations to us, yeah. So in that way, he can give us opportunities. And uh, another way I, put it, I heard it put before is Satan knows human nature very well. He's been studying us a long time. And he knows our weaknesses. And so he's really good at presenting things to us that we're going to be tempted towards and want um, he's not omniscient, though. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. He has limitations, but uh, that doesn't mean he's not powerful. Sam, did you have your hand up? Just quickly,
1: because another angle on this uh with Ananias and Sapphira, chapter 5 of Acts, Peter, the cost and Ananias, he says, verse 3 Ananias, why does Satan fill your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Keep mm-hmm. back for yourself part proceeds to the land. Oh, I, I don't know exactly what killing his heart was,
0: but right, he had a, a, he had a role. A yeah, okay.
1: he presented the opportunity. He, he sold the land. He had the money. Yep. And since he wasn't saved, obviously, he he had the uh, um Yeah, to keep some of the money.
0: He had the opportunity, and Satan influenced him towards. Yeah. Yeah. For those on Zoom, Sam, uh, Sam brought up Ananias and Sapphira when Peter says, you know, why did you allow Satan to fill your heart? Um, I can't remember all the words, but you know, fill your heart with this desire to, to lie about the um, uh, land and the money. And so there's an influence there. We're not given all the specifics about how that operates, but there's definitely an influence Satan has on us. Yeah. And as Peter says, he's prowling around like a roaring lion. Seeking those he may devour. Yeah, Barbara. Eve was tempted to give the apple. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and that was. Now that's very clearly an external temptation because the serpent comes to Eve and and dialogues with her. Um, is it possible that Satan does that in a certain sense? With our souls, perhaps. Um, that's a little bit more difficult to know for certain. Yeah. But that's exactly right, Lane. Once saved, always saved.
1: Second Thessalonians 13, that uh, God, uh, God chose you as a first fruit to be saved through sanctification by spirit and belief in the Spirit. Yep. God saves you and you're saved. That's
0: exactly right. And you can't be saved with the other. Yep, exactly right. God's the one who saves us. He saves us fully, finally, perfectly, and we can't be saved any other way uh there is a, a moment in a letter another letter later on where there's a uh, a scene where um screw tape, uh, the the patient has this experience where God is ministering to his soul during a time of darkness and time of wandering where the devil wasn't able to approach him, and screwtapes like we've all had these experiences there are these terrible experiences where God. You know, the enemy as he puts it, you know, for you know, just surrounds him in a cloud and you just can't do anything and you're helpless. And it's like the you know, the worst thing. And uh I mean and I think you know C.S. Lewis wasn't a Calvinist, but he often wrote like a Calvinist at times because it's biblical, and so you know, a lot of people are inconsistent. Um, but that's an example of it. God in that moment was working by his power perfectly to preserve that that man in that moment. And even protecting him from being able to be approached and tempted by uh by the by the demons. So anything else before we uh we close this evening? All right. Um let me uh if uh <clears throat> excuse me. Does anyone have any prayer requests? This evening, I'll go ahead and close us in prayer. But I want to open it up if there's any prayer requests that anyone. Yes, Barbara. My sister was um, having more tests today on her
1: heart. Mm-hmm. How, you know, just in for her.
0: Like, the test, so that, that okay, Barbara's sister is having tests on her heart today. Yep. Clean. Praying for the armed services, those who, uh, yep, yep, first responders as well, all those who risk their lives to protect us and provide for us, yep. Uh, Pat Hill fell on Saturday, right, broken shoulder, I think. Yep, pray for Willow as well. Uh uh George first, yeah. Okay. Unborn grandchild, you said Christopher? Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh yes. Our pastor. in fellasburgers
0: have an open parts virtually tomorrow. Okay. Bill, what was the last name? Bill Slack, pastor in Phillipsburg. Yeah, OPC in Phillipsburg. uh, You said open heart surgery? Okay. You said tomorrow? Okay. Bill Slack, OPC pastor in Phillipsburg, New Jersey, is having open heart surgery tomorrow. All right, anything else? right, Uh, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time that we have where we can gather together and study and learn and grow. We ask that you would uh, protect us from the temptations of Satan and that you would uh, help us to cling to Christ, to remain steadfast and strong in the faith, uh, looking to you as the founder and perfecter of our faith, that you will complete the good work you've begun in us and bring us to glory one day. I pray for the various needs that uh, were mentioned here this evening. We pray for Barbara's sister and the test that she's having on her uh, on her heart. Um, we ask that you would uh, help the doctors be able to figure out what's going on if she's having this valve issue. Uh, and in particular, we pray for wisdom, that they would know how best to uh, to treat and to respond to this issue, that you would um, uh, help her to, to get better and to recover, and that um, whatever procedure they end up going with uh, would be successful in bringing healing to her. We pray, Lord, for our armed services and uh, first responders and emergency services. We thank you for all those individuals that you've raised up to um, to be willing to sacrifice and risk themselves um, for the safety of our, our country and for uh, the population. We ask that you would uh, continue to protect them and uh, help them to do their jobs well. We ask that you would continue to bless us with, um, with people who are willing to, uh, to fight to defend our country and those who are willing to, uh, to do this difficult work that's necessary, whether it's in law enforcement or firefighting or medical staff, that you know, these are um, people that you have gifted to provide uh, good services and, and mercy and, and, uh, and kindness towards uh, those who are suffering and need it. And we ask that you would continue to bless our country with good people in these positions we pray for pat hill and uh, her fall recently with her broken shoulder we pray for healing for her that you would help her to recover quickly and uh, um and uh, heal from this injury uh, we pray for willa as well and uh, all the hardships that she's been going through and dealing with we pray for uh, you to be working uh, to bring healing for her and uh, comfort and encouragement as, as well we pray for um uh, the Raoul's, uh unborn grandchild christopher we ask that you would uh, help him to come to full term, that he would be uh, healthy and safe. We pray for the mother as well, uh, that you would be with her um, with during this pregnancy, that you would uh, protect both of them, help them to uh, uh, to come along well, and that you would uh, help Christopher to be born strong and healthy into this world. We pray for uh, Pastor Bill Slack in Phillipsburg, New Jersey, and his open heart surgery tomorrow. We pray that it would go well that uh, you would help the doctors and that you would guide the, uh, the hands of the surgeons also, that they would perform the surgery well, that it would be successful, that it would bring healing and relief to Pastor Slack's body, and that uh, uh, you would enable him to return to uh, his work and service soon for your honor and glory. We pray for us as a congregation, o Lord. We ask that you would help us to be faithful, that we would uh, love you and grow in our love for you, that we would fight against sin and that you would help us to be faithful witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the world around us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.
1: Amen.